welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Kim Winsey Stevenson, MD. Kim is medical director at Aetna, which she moved to after her initial relaunch at Optum 360, following an extended career break after leaving her clinical general surgery practice. Kim will talk about what it was like to retake her medical boards, how she made the decision to return to a non-clinical area of medicine, and why this is such a good option for physician relaunchers, especially after long career breaks, and we'll also find out what she does in her role as medical director role and about medical director roles in general. Kim, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you, Carol. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and we've we've known each other for a while, and I've known about your relaunch story uh, and have been following it over time, and I'm I'm very excited to have the opportunity to talk through it in more detail and also to present some of the uh, instructional lessons from it for our community uh, that I think will be helpful to many, especially those uh, who are relaunching doctors. So can you start by walking us through your early career history uh, and what led to your career break? Sure. Well, you know, it started out pretty traditionally. I went to medical school. I did a general surgery residency both in New York and um, practiced there at Downstate full-time on staff for a couple of years um, while my kid's father got his... uh, fellowship in cardiology done. And then um, actually we ended up moving to Florida and uh, he got a great job in cardiology down in Sarasota and I had our first child. So I opened up a private practice down there and uh, that's how that started. Um, I had another child and unfortunately my first child ended up having some challenges I discovered that I really did not like private practice, and uh, so I ended up retiring because I knew he'd need me home, and there were issues involved, and we were not lucky enough for me to have the choice. So Mm -hmm. that was how I decided to leave after five years of practice in general surgery. I I really missed being at an academic institution, and... um, so that that was easy in some ways. Uh, it was a combination of not be not liking what I was doing, and my child needing me at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then during the time that you were on your career break, even you were doing some work activities, and I'm guessing maybe you picked some of you made some of these choices because it gave you some schedule control. But you were a certified health and weight loss coach. You did some uh, managing and investing in real estate. Can you talk about those experiences and how they might have enhanced business or and analytical skills or or other skill sets? Sure. I you know I like to stay active. I obviously uh, loved medicine, which is so I worked in the free clinic that actually the hospital had for about a year after I left practice. Um, doing all the elective surgeries that came in through the emergency room until that became a free full-time job. (laughs) And then after that, I decided to uh, get involved in some in-health coaching. And 
I, I really started it just to lose some weight myself and then found a company that I thought was, was great. And what, the whole idea for me of medicine is more of a holistic thing. And, you know, it, we, we don't, luckily now we're seeing more and more people involved in preventive care, in proactive creation of health, which is something that uh, is definitely very much becoming part of the culture of medicine now, but it wasn't when I started training. So mm -hmm. I love that aspect of talking to people about, you know, healthy habits, exercise, mindfulness, because health is, is an entire picture. It's not just, you know, medicine and waiting till you get sick and going to the doctor and then getting some pills. It, there's a lot involved in trying to prevent that from happening so you don't have to. And mm -hmm. I love that aspect of it. And uh, I saw the changes it made in people's lives. And then as far as the real estate goes, we did some investing, my, uh, my first husband and I, and bought some properties and somebody had to manage them. And we figured, you know, why pay someone else to do it? And, you know, it, it really helped me with my confidence for the relaunch because it was something I was totally unfamiliar with business. But between running a health coaching practice and having to manage, you know, the finances and things, and then having to manage the real estate and pay the bills and you know, do the maintenance and the taxes. And we had set up different corporations and it gave me a lot of confidence because I found out that, you know, I was smart. I could learn medicine. I could learn this. So mm. it uh, really gave me a lot of confidence and was fun and interesting. I like doing varied things. Very interesting. And then you returned to medicine with uh, taking your first role at Optum 360 in 2018. What was the impetus? Did you wake up one morning and decide you, that medicine was your original calling and you wanted to go back to it? Or was there some event? Like, how did that happen? Well, it, it, it's a long, because I had an extended break that my, my son, unfortunately, uh, his condition deteriorated and I thought about going back to medicine, but he became full-time care and I really couldn't leave the house. That was, you know, part of the reason why health coaching worked so well, because it was something I could do from home and even uh, property management is something mostly you can do on your own schedule. There's not a lot of, you know, even if, the, even if there's an emergency, you can call the plumber. You don't have to go running over yourself. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, that became less and less realistic as the time increased. And by the time he was uh, unfortunately passed away and I um, had remarried, I really didn't feel like clinical medicine was an option for me. I didn't want to go back. I thought it had changed a lot. I watched it metamorphose over the time I was there with insurance companies coming in. And I, not to actually, I'm, I'm actually pretty impressed with insurance companies since I've been working for them. But, you know, it changed, obviously, our experience. And it's an interesting perspective to go from being on the physician side to being on the insurance side. But I, uh, I really didn't feel like I had the clinical skills. I didn't want to go back to that level of responsibility or stress or call. And um, so that was... Uh, what ended up happening was I, I was getting divorced and I um, spoke to a friend. I went to the Women's Resource Center. It's funny, I, I was really, and I, and I think probably some people can relate to this after this long career break, even though I was relatively well-trained, I was older and I was afraid that there would not be a job out there for me. Um, mm -hmm. I was very insecure about it. And I went to a place in Sarasota called the Women's Resource Center and spoke to a career counselor 
who basically said, you know, that there's two ways you're going to get a job. One is job boards. About 50% of people will get them from job boards. The other is networking, talking to people you know, telling them you're looking for a job, um, telling not not that you're expecting them to get you a job, but you know, do they know anyone who's looking? Do they have any opportunities? Do they have any advice? Possibly interview them about their job. He gave me some strategies, and mm-hmm. uh, so. I still thought, oh, this, you know, I, I was very, I thought, oh, I'll be lucky if, if I can get a job this way. And um, I ended up calling a friend I went to medical school with who was a medical director. And mm. she was very helpful, told me about her own job d- journey. She had re- uh, switched from clinical medicine because her mother had leukemia. So similar, sick, you know, mm. sick parents, sick child. Mm-hmm. And um she was very encouraging and said, oh, I, I, I w- you would be great at this because one of the keys to what I do is, is actually more people skills. I mean, we do a lot of medicine, but the truth is you also need people skills. And she said, you know, because of the health coaching, because of the property management uh, and a lot of personal growth work I had done and, and what I'd been through with my son, I think that, um, you know, I developed a lot of of people skills and the ability to talk to people about different subjects. And she said, I can train anyone to do, you know, utilization management work as a medical director. I can't teach people skills. So that was very encouraging. And um, yeah, so then I ended up finding your TED Talk. And (laughs) that was really exciting to me. And I joined your Facebook group and I actually found Arian uh, Ankama Van Dyke, who's the coach, and we talked a little bit. And then I found, because of that Facebook group, I found another Facebook group called Physician Non-Clinical Careers, which I joined. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Belie- I mean, this happened so fast, it's really kind of heady. So I started looking probably in like September, October of 2017. And then I hooked up with a woman on that site who worked for Optum, and she gave me the name of the recruiter who set me up with an interview with one person. Then I had an interview with the doc who would be supervising me. And the next thing I know, they were sending me to a hospital to interview and I had a job by wow. uh, January. So yeah. That's I, amazing. It was that amazing. so fast. It was very fast. So let's just repeat the name. This is called Physician Non-Clinical Careers, this yes. Facebook group? Yes. Okay. Um, so I just wanted any physicians in the audience who are listening to uh, make a note of that, because we're going to talk a a little bit more about the option to relaunch in a non-clinical role, um, you know, as, as Kim and I are having the conversation. So, but bookmark that and put that aside for now. So, you know, you're, you're highlighting a couple of really important strategies for relaunchers in general, not just, not just physicians who are relaunching. one of them is the going public with your job search. So, you know, telling everyone you know that you're interested in returning to work and having these conversations. And the other one is the the frozen in time piece. So when you're talking and reconnecting or connecting with people um, from the past, people with whom you worked years ago or whom you went to school. So you said you had a medical school classmate who you had this conversation with. So I don't know if if you've been in touch all the way along or if you if there had been a gap there, but she has this frozen in time view of you. She remembers you when you were in medical school together. And it's it's amazing how, uh, you know, frozen in time uh, works across all uh, uh, 
industry sectors. I had it happen with me. One of the people that I, I took an 11 year career break. My career was in financial analysis. When I was returning, I connected um, with people that I worked with 11 and more years before, and they remembered me and they were so encouraging. And that was a, a, an important piece of my, of building up my confidence. And also they were like, you know, let's have breakfast or, you, you, you know, let's talk and, and they, they could be helpful. Yeah. Interesting. So that was very fun. Actually, um, friends over the years, she was in Connecticut. I had moved to Florida and we weren't really even very close in medical school. It was another medical school friend who suggested I call her, but she was incredibly welcoming. She couldn't have been more helpful and would have, you know, said, I'd love to, I wish I could offer you a job. I don't have one right now, but did hook me up with some, uh, different re recruiters and people at both at her company and some other companies that she knew. Um, and she was very, very helpful and remembered me very fondly, which was interesting because we had not been that friendly. So yeah, that was nice. Okay. So again, um, for, for our listeners, Kim saying that the, the person that she got in touch with who was very, very helpful was someone she hadn't been in touch with in a while and didn't even have that close a relationship with originally when, when they were in medical school. And that is sometimes the, the exact profile of the person who's going to be most helpful to you and why it's so important to be telling everyone you know about your interest in returning to work because you're reaching these people who uh, are outside your really your present close circle of friends and family. So very important there. Um, so it's it seemed that as you're describing this, Kim, I was going to ask you, were they concerned that you were coming off of a, a long career break? It certainly doesn't sound like it. And I'm wondering what those conversations were like when they were looking at your resume. Well, you know, as I was very concerned about it and mm -hmm. was wondering, and I, the, the first physician I spoke to at Optum who um, ended up also being a surgeon, interestingly, and we had had a, we were of similar age and had a similar training. He had also trained in the Northeast and the Philadelphia area. And uh, we both knew that the excellent kind of training you got in that area. And so he didn't, he was like, I know you're well-trained and, um, you know, I'm just, I'm not concerned about it at all. And uh, so it didn't seem to be an issue, shockingly, either with Joe, who was the, the nurse who first interviewed me um, as a kind of, I think, screening interview. Mm -hmm. And then she put me on to to Dr. Tucker and, and it was, um, yeah, I was shocked. I thought it would be a big issue, but it, it wasn't. Pretty interesting that they're they were focused on the quality of your medical school training, which happened years before. So, um, did you feel like you had and a residency? Training. Oh, oh, and your residency training, of course. Sorry, that was that's me not being a doctor, not thinking about that right away. But thank you. Um, but uh, did did you do any kind? Did you think you had to do any kind of reviewing or skills updating of any kind or or was it that just wasn't part of the conversation or what what you focused on? No, actually, point? well, it was part of the conversation, but the, the truth of the matter is they have a very uh, good training program at Optum. And that was one of ah. the attractive things about the job is that they train you and they actually review all areas of medicine with you vis-a-vis -vis what you're doing. I, I worked at Optum, not as a medical director, but as a physician advisor on site at a hospital. And I worked at two different hospitals, one in Delaware and another back in Florida in the villages. And, um, it, it's a different role. You're actually on the other side trying to help the hospital deal with the insurance companies. And um, 
deal with the issue of what's appropriate to be inpatient versus observation or um, outpatient with observation services in the Medicare world, which is a whole new area. And a lot of doctors, you know, the newer doctors are trained in it, but the older doctors are not. And it changes so fast. What used to be admitted to the hospital when I was in training and, you know, for the non-physician listeners, I think they'll, they'll still relate to this, you know, what used to be considered automatically an inpatient admission, like say having your hip replaced or your knee replaced mm-hmm. in many cases is now done as an outpatient. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't have dreamed of that 15 years ago, but now things like that are done as an outpatient and much more is done as an outpatient. And the doctors sometimes are just used to doing what they do. And it is very important that they get it right from the insurance reimbursement standpoint. And that involves too the patient co-pays. So there's, there's a lot of issues so that you have to learn, not only relearn some things about medicine, because there's also fields that weren't, I was a surgeon, so cardiology, neurology, there are fields that you have to deal with. So they have their own training program that goes over those things um, that was quite extensive and uh, involved quite a bit of overtime, but that, that was fine. I actually was excited. I liked medicine, so it was fun to learn. But then you also had to learn about insurance and Medicare rules. And, you know, so there was, there was a lot to learn, but I liked to learn. So yeah, it was exciting and fun and interesting. Hmm. So that's really interesting too, because when they're thinking about who to hire, they know that they have this comprehensive training program. And you, you know, as you're saying, if they hire a doctor who's has even doesn't have a career break, but has been immersed in one particular specialty, but has you know very little exposure to uh, other specialties for, since medical school, maybe or their resident, well, not their residency, probably since medical school. Um, that there would be a similar issue there. So, so that that's pretty interesting. And the other thing that you're saying that have, we've seen parallels in in other fields is, for example, in law, when we have relaunching lawyers, we had one relaunching lawyer who relaunched after like a, a very long career break. I think a, maybe 25 years or something. And she uh, she said um, they put her in charge of some brand new law. It was like when Dodd Frank came in and and it was no one knew this law. It was brand new law for everyone. And so she became the resident expert in the law firm on Dodd Frank law legislation and and uh, and all the legal um, uh, the legalese behind that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's just another example. And we even have like librarians will say, you know, either you know, when, when I, before my career break, we were using like a very, uh, uh, like a paper cataloging system, or we were using, um, you know, five versions ago on, on the now electronic cataloging systems. But when I got in, we were in implementing a brand new system. So I just sat next to everyone else and we all learned it together, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think that's a very interesting theme and it's something we have to remind relaunchers about that sometimes you're in a situation where the training program itself is very intense and comprehensive and they're looking for a certain kind of personality who has a fundamentally great skills, who is a fearless learner and can really thrive in uh, by absorbing all that new material. So. No question being a, a quick learner or, you know, wanting to learn and being willing to, uh, you know, learn is is very critical to these, this particular, these particular roles. But, you know, the other thing I would say, and 
there were, is that there are people that I, who were in anesthesia or in neurology and much more limited fields who were also able to be very um, successful in this because of the uh, extens extensiveness of the training program. But the problem that they had that was most um, evident that was helpful because I had done the uh, property management and I'd run the coaching business. So I'd had to develop considerable computer skills to do that mm. because they've a lot of older physicians or physicians who've been, you know, on a career bake might want to go back to uh, the non-clinical, but it is critical that you have computer skills. And um, one of the issues that they did have with some of the candidates was that they did not have good computer skills. So those are things to keep up or possibly, you know, do a, couple of courses from LinkedIn or whatever to be able to make sure that you're up to that if it is something you're interested in getting into because there's a lot of technology involved using multiple screens which is something I'd never done before and being able to manage multiple programs that you know do different things it's it was uh it's so there's a training on multiple different fronts and can you can be a little more specific when you say computer skills, are there specific computer skills that you felt you had because you you had those uh, career break experiences, but that some other doctors don't have and then they don't get hired in these roles for? Well, I mean, just being comfortable with, you know, word with um, cutting and pasting things with, mm -hmm. you know, scanning now. I mean, things have evolved even since I started, but, you know, scanning as opposed to faxing, scanning and emailing and attaching and then you know, how to use different programs, mm -hmm. um, just managing your way around a program that they train you, but then, you know, you got to do it. It's on the job training. You got to click around and be willing to, to, yeah. to try different things. No, but, you're uh, absolutely right. I remember this. In fact, in the TED talk that you watched, I remember talking about this. Now, of course, I relaunched my career in 2001, which was, you know, literally two decades ago, almost. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember, I, I had to relearn Excel. I, I talk about this in the talk. That was not that hard. But PowerPoint at the time, for some reason, I could do it. It just took me so long to do so. Now I can do PowerPoint so fast. But um, at the time when I was first starting out, it took me forever. And it was very frustrating, mainly because I just didn't want to, I, I wanted to be able to do all of these things really fast. And they were taking me a long time. And it meant I had to stay at work later and, and just everything took longer. So until I got very experienced with that and could do everything fast, I had to go through that learning curve. I think you just have to accept as you, you know, if you're going to go into something that requires quite a bit of training and different than you're used to that, you know, you may have to put in that extra effort for a while. But, you know, it, it amazingly, um, in the beginning of that job, it seemed overwhelming. And, and there were times when I thought, I'm glad I, they think I can do this because I'm <laughs> not sure I can. <laughs> or I, I think I can. I remember starting and thinking, holy moly, I certainly hope I don't go in there and, and embarrass the heck out of myself. But, you know, I, I felt the same way in medical training. I mean, you know, there were times when you think to yourself, and most doctors will relate to this, even if they don't admit to it, is, you know, you look around and you go, call a real doctor. You're, <laughs> you're calling me. <laughs> you know? then, so it's, um, you know, and there's some of that imposter syndrome that yeah. uh, we women certainly have. And I'm, you men out oh, there men may have, have it too. too. Yeah, but, um, definitely documented. Yeah. But it was very, very, uh, you know, willingness to, to to train and to be a hard worker and do it right was was key. But I I, I was amazed. Wow. 
Well, let me ask you this. You, you then moved on to a new role, the role that you have at Aetna as medical director. And of course, at that point, you weren't coming off of a career break anymore. You were coming off of your Optum 360 experience. Um, how did you feel um, moving into this role? Did you did, Were you even thinking about your identity as a relauncher anymore? And also, what kind of preparation did you do? Because I, I remember you saying you had to take your, your retake your boards again, right, for that role? Yes. My surgical boards had lapsed and I had to, uh, in order to be a medical director at any health insurance company, you, you must be board certified. Mm -hmm. And so I had looked into um, certifying, uh, recertifying, and it was just, it's only given once a year and you had to register by a certain date and there was a lot of preparation involved. So I hadn't done it. But um, when I wanted to, when I decided I wanted to get this job, I just decided to do it. So I bought the surgical, uh, what's called CSAP, but it's the surgical review that they put out every year from the American College of Surgeons. And it's a, uh, you know, 90 CME credits this year, it's 109. And you just go through the different modules of breast and thyroid and, you know, endocrine and abdomen and trauma and intensive care. And it, you know, it was a great review of medicine. I, I really enjoyed it. And then you take an exam. But yeah, it was a lot of work, mm -hmm. but it was worth it. it and um, the I'll tell you, the experience I had at Optum was invaluable. I'm not sure that I could have gone right into this job because, again, it was a lot of different training. We do a lot of different things in this role that we didn't do as physician advisors that have to do with um, being on the insurance side, knowing more about insurance and also things like uh, admissions to subacute facilities, mm -hmm. um, long-term care facilities, and uh, rehabilitation facilities, so different things. But um, we, we also do the same peer-to-peers from the different side where we talk to doctors about, you know, decisions in putting people into the hospital and what status to put them in. One of the things I have to say that I like about the company I work for, for Aetna is that they want to do what's right for the member. One of the things that was very helpful to me about having been on both sides of this equation is obviously physicians are concerned with keeping up with medicine and what's going on with uh, clinical advances. And they're not as up on what's going on with insurance companies or uh, what the new regulations are for inpatient versus outpatient or coding. There's a lot to know. So being on the insurance side, that is something we can offer and uh, be able to help them with that. One of the things that I think the people skills we talked about before involves is being able to communicate that I'm not here trying to teach you medicine. I'm here trying to teach you insurance rules and um, that's what I'm an expert in. Excellent point. And that's what I see happening. And what I like about what I do is that we're really trying to improve the quality of care for people, the access to care for people. A lot of uh, people go end up going back into the hospital and back into the hospital because they don't have good case management. They don't understand their disease. And in insurance companies are working very hard with coaching and helping patients learn more about their disease and be able to manage it better themselves and, you know, and be proactive and preventive. Mm -hmm. So all wonderful programs. There are just some really great programs that are mm -hmm. very encouraging. Um, and can you talk a little bit more about the medical director role? Like what, 
like what is a typical day and what are the different types of medical director roles and and just in general about this um, option for physicians to relaunch in a non-clinical role. Well, I, you know, the medical director role is, um, there's different medical director roles. I mean, some are clinical, like at hospitals, they do have medical directors um, or chief medical officers. So that's one way you can be a medical director. At an insurance company, a lot of it is transactional work where you're doing uh, reviews of cases that have been admitted inpatient. You have to decide, um, you know, look at the criteria. Some people use Milliman, some people use um, something called Interqual, but you also have to use your clinical judgment. It's really ba based on your judgment as a doctor as to whether it qualifies for inpatient versus, and then it, it's subject to uh, appeals, but there's, that's the basis of the work you do. And if a doctor disagrees with you, sometimes you have to have a discussion with him about it, which is called a peer-to-peer, -peer, and that's fun and interactive. And I guess um, you, you can get involved in ACOs, which are accountable care organizations, which look at you know people's screenings, whether they're getting their screening for breast cancer, for colon cancer, or look at the statistics of readmissions and infection rates. There's just a lot of really great preventive stuff going on and a lot of information that, that can be used to help people optimize their care. And that's one of the things I really like about it is that I see a real concern for making sure people learn about them, their diseases, take care of themselves. But there's also the, the opportunity to get more into management if you want and become senior medical director and mm. possibly there's to go out into the, um, to, over to the ACOs and discuss you know, the options we have to offer. Um, so you can get involved in that end. And th there's a lot of options depending on what you're looking to do. If you're, you know, really looking to advance into a more senior management role, that's available to you at an insurance company. If you just want to stay and do the interactive work, that's possible too. And most of it is from home, mm -hmm. even though, even without this COVID environment, most medical directors do work from home. That's very interesting. And, and that gives you, uh, would you say you get some schedule control over that or? Um, it, and no, not so much. It's okay. really pretty, it's, it, it, I have to say it's pretty intense in terms of that. The schedule control you do have is that you don't work nights and you don't work uh, you, very rarely on weekends. Um, there's some. Right. There's you don't some have call, involved. right? You do have call, oh, but it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's very, spur, you know, it's one weekend every couple months. It's I not. See really a big deal. And I, it's probably different at different companies, but yeah, there is some call involved at, hmm. at some companies. Interesting. Um, all right. So we're wrapping up now, Kim, and I want to ask you our final question, the one we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something we've already talked about today? Well, I mean, I think my best piece of advice is to call, I mean, what? although I got it very fast, call anyone and everyone you can think of that you might have known. Make Sit down and make a list of people you know who may be doing things. Ask your friends about it because it's, it was actually, I did not think of calling the person I called myself. It was a friend of mine who knew me and knew about my journey that suggested I call her. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, be willing to even, you know, I, I picked up the phone after not seeing her for 15 years or 20 years and saying, hey, 
could you, can we talk, can I, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about what you're doing and maybe, you know, would it be suitable? And, and she, you know, she could have said, I haven't heard from you in 20 years. Don't talk to me. Right. But I, th I think the most important thing is to, and also to have confidence in yourself. I mean, I have to say that, you know, I didn't, even taking the job, there was a part of me that thought, whoa, you know, I don't know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they seem to think I can. So let's see. Great. Well, but, it's, uh, it's great advice. I think you have to be willing to be prepared for a lot of on-the-job training and uh, not necessarily knowing what you're doing right away, but being willing to learn. Right. And those are two really important points. I just want to remind anyone in the audience who has been hesitating to get in touch with someone who they've not been in touch with for you know the last 14 years because A, they're worried that the person won't remember them. B, they're worried the person's going to be mad at them because they have been out of touch and hear exactly what Kim said. That, you know, that, that there was a fleeting moment where she, she thinks, is she going to just say no because you've been out of touch? But no. And, and this is usually, invariably what we hear. Not only are people thrilled to hear from you again, and, and they're not at all mad, um, but they're, they're really interesting in reconnecting and helping. So, so, that, so, so that's really important. And then this other piece is this fearless learning piece and having the stance about, uh, I'm, you know, I'm always, I always want to learn new things. And that is, that is really, really a helpful stance to have as a relauncher. Uh, and if you can convey that to a potential employer, employers are very interested in seeing that quality. So Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Carol. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I feel proud that you asked me. Well, we, we are privileged to have you on. Thanks for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com and make sure to sign up for our job board. Go to the job board page on our website. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform and be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.